and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Welcome back to the program. This is Good Morning New York, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. I'd like to welcome our listeners from the United States and around the world. Thanks for being with us today. It may be time to start readying a plaque for the Price Chopper Hall of Fame. In April of this year, the 740 Park Avenue duplex that was once owned by Kent and Elizabeth Swig, and then later just Elizabeth, went into contract, and now public records show the final closing price for the apartment. That price, $18 million, which is quite a chop from its original list price of $32.5 million. But it's possible that Swig cared more about unloading the apartment than getting the full asking price or even the $22.5 million that it was listed at last November. Despite his reputation for being somewhat new agey, Sting's real estate choices are decidedly stayed. The multi-talented artist, singer, songwriter, Broadway composer has lived in a series of apartments along Central Park uh, for years, most recently a 16th floor spread in Robert A.M. Stern's 15th Central Park West. So it's no surprise that Sting and his wife, Trudy, would be interested in the architect's latest building, namely the Limestone Tower rising at 220 Central Park South. The New York Post reports that the couple has been scouting apartments in the building and may be close to purchasing a triplex for an as-yet-undisclosed sum because we still don't know anything about pricing in the building because everything about it is shrouded in mystery. Isn't that something? But the post the post sources believe it will be less than the expensive, uh, less expensive than the two hundred and fifty million dollar apartment that's allegedly going to be in the building. But then it would have to be. Can you imagine? That? It's got to be one of the penthouses. Two hundred fifty million dollars. Good God! <laughs> Can I sell that? That's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> it's it's like. Let's un- see what it closes for. I feel like we're in two thousand six again. But Let's even see what it but even two hundred million. If it closes yeah. at two hundred million, it's like come on. It's a, it's an apartment. Let's see. God love us all. New York <laughs> residents have watched more and more of their neighborhood grocery stores disappear. And we've talked about this so many times on the show, but at least one chain is expanding. Trader Joe's announced plans to debut its newest New York City location ahead of schedule. The new grand opening date of Friday, August 12th. The store was originally slated to open this fall, but after moving ahead of schedule, the chain decided to make its debut sooner rather than wait. Landlords are increasingly shelling out concessions to renters in Manhattan as supply continues to outpace demand for ultra-luxury apartments. The share of new leases uh, with landlord concessions last month was more than double seen in the last uh, last year, according to Douglas Elliman's latest market report, nearly 11% of the new leases compared to 5.3% in July 2015 provided concessions to tenants. At the same time, the vacancy rate last month, 2.5%, was the highest seen for July in the last nine years, according to the report. We'll ask Phil about that in a minute. Listing inventory also jumped to the highest level in more than seven years, reaching 7,681 units, a 30.3% year-over-year increase. Don't cry for the Four Seasons restaurant just yet. The esteemed restaurant may have ended its run in the Seagram's building in Manhattan, and that's a sin. But its owners, Julian Nicolini and Alan Von Bitter, are exploring their options in South Hamptons, in the Hamptons. Isn't that something? On Thursday, the duo will host a one-night event at a restaurant in South Hampton. 
Uh, if all goes well, they say the pop-up uh, concept should become a regular affair. And the Seagram building location shuttered in uh, mid-July after landlord Abby Rosen decided not to renew the restaurant's lease. Nicolini and Von Bitter said they plan to reopen at SL Green Realty and Renato Realty Trust 200 Park Avenue. Uh, so those who don't make it to the Hamptons can still get their fill of the Four Seasons Dining. It's just not going to be the same out of that building. Ashton Kutcher, along with the co-founders of Facebook and PayPal, are urging Governor Andrew Cuomo to veto a bill that imposes fines on Airbnb hosts. Kutcher, <laughs> I'm laughing, it's quite a controversy within the studio here. Kutcher, an Airbnb investor, was among those who penned a letter calling on the governor to oppose legislation sitting on Cuomo's desk. The Wall Street Journal has reported in June the state Senate and Assembly passed a bill that would impose fines as high as $7,500 on Airbnb hosts who advertise rentals for less than 30 days if the owner isn't present. Ashton, uh, Ashton says, quote, as investors and industry leaders, we believe in the good that Airbnb and home sharing have done for residents of New York, the letter states. We implore you to reaffirm your commitment to fostering technology and innovation. And I say good luck with that. Anyway, we are here this morning with Steve Snyder, who's coming to us today um, from CORE, Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com, Deborah Hoffman, Town Residential, and Matthew Cohen, of course, from CORE in New York City as well. I just wanted to give a shout-out to the New York City Expo that is happening on September 29th here in New York at the Hilton. I am going to be moderating a session on residential real estate, and we're going to be talking about becoming a world-class connector. So on today's program... For the next hour, I'm giving away five to ten free tickets. If you call into the show, write into the show, email me after the show, you can have free tickets. I will get you the phone number after the break. But please um, uh, come to, to come see the show. And also, if you get to us afterwards, you can use the code Rocco R O C C O, and you will have uh, a ten percent, I believe, discount on those tickets. Anyway, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Morning. How is everybody today? Good. Good. Just good. Considering so we're still in the middle of a heat wave. Yeah. We, well, I, I was, was going to say, say, so glad it's extremely cold out this morning. <laughs> well, from your mouth to God's ears, fella, because I'm so cool. So cool. It's summer. <laughs> well, you know, when the temperature is, is in the 80s, that's kind of cool. But when the humidity is in the 80s or the 90s, that's when it gets really sticky and hard. You know, it's it's been a crazy summer, but, you know, no complaints. I mean, you know, it is summertime, so it is what we are used to here in New York. But I got to tell you, after two full weeks of this nonsense, it's just a little too much. I mean, in our business, running around all day long, in and out, it's um, it's crazy. The Uber ticket, uh, the Uber price tag this month is going to be blowing up my American Express bill, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, anyway, let's, let's move on. According to real estate website StreetEasy, 12 of the condos in Manhattan's currently listed at over $20 million have had their prices cut by 5% or more in recent months, while only two of them have seen increase in their listing price. Among the cuts uh, is a condo at 1 Central Park South. It's been on the market for more than 250 days and is now on sale for $45.5 million. $6.5 million less than it was a few weeks ago. In new developments, we are seeing the following. Cutting larger apartments up into smaller apartments, sellers and developers are acting cautious amid uh, a perceived glut in supply. Some are choosing to abandon plans for new real estate projects altogether. So, you know, they may have purchased land, they may have decided to build a building, and now all of a sudden they're kind of slowing that down a little bit because they're not quite sure where we are going in it from a market perspective. There are signs that the land used to build luxury condos may be seeing less interest at the higher 
prices sellers are asking. So my question, you know, this morning is what types of conversations are we having with our buyers of high-end apartments in this town, you know, amid all of this potential, you know, controversy with with price cuts, trimming down apartments, you know, 45 million, 200 million dollar penthouses. What are we telling our higher-end buyers today about the market because I'm sure many of them have concerns as to where this market is going. Yeah, um it's really interesting because the economy is not terrible right now. I mean, the job it's employment not. rate, the employment rate is, is pretty good. Uh, the stock markets are at all-time highs, mm-hmm. but there seems to be a lot of supply in the market. And I think I think prices got a little ahead of themselves is what it, what it really seems like to me. Well, it, it typically does do that, and we've seen cycles mm. of this happening for, you know, for years. You know, I'm in this business for 15 years, as I go on every week about, but, you know, and I've seen the, the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs. But I don't know if it if it's a more this time than just you know uh, that. Do you think it has anything to do with the the election year? I mean, first of all, we are we are seeing so many more units available. I put a schedule together to take buyers out, and I have to stop myself because we can see ten to fifteen units in a day. Whereas you know, not too long ago, you're lucky if you saw three or four, and then you know they were going in bidding wars because there wasn't uh, there were too many buyers for the few apartments that were out there. In in the last two weeks alone, I've had a lot of conversations about the market. I just did air quotes for people who are out there. And um, also, also just in terms of high-end buyers, I think it's really interesting because I have a lot of finance clients, and hearing their perspective on the market is incredibly interesting because they always look at things from a macro perspective. And I think that for the first time in a, in a while in New York City real estate, you have to look at the market not in a macro perspective because, as Phil said, the stock market's doing incredibly well. Um, so I don't think it has to do with each other. I think for the you know first time in a while as well, the market has just kind of peaked itself. I think it, I think the high end has kind of hit that ceiling where you have to be a little more reasonable. Um, and that's definitely to developers, I would say. And then that's also to sellers who see developers doing it and then switch their thinking. Um, so I've actually told a lot of my buyers the last two weeks who have said to me, hey, I'm noticing that the high end market is struggling a little bit. I might not wait that year that I was going to, and I might try and lowball a few things because I think if there was ever an opportunity to do it, it is presently instead of in a year. All right, so that begs the question just to you know to pursue this just a little further, and, and, and I don't necessarily know that I have the answer to this, but my question to you guys today is, are we in a buyer's market? I mean, based on what you just said, Matt, on the... Um, Lowballing of of offers out there that typically doesn't happen well, in a seller's market. Well, let's break it down and double double extend off of what I'm saying because I know I, I have a feeling she's going to say oh, it. Yeah. It's it's a <laughs> I think it's a price range thing. I, I think you know if you're going to talk about high end, it's becoming more of a buyer's market. But I think that that's over five million. And then I think when you're under I two you're million, right. I think you're right. I think when you're under two million, things are moving, you know, pretty not quickly but steadily. They're still, you know, going into contract within a month. I think so. It's more of a, you know, seller's market in that if, situation. If, if priced correctly, I agree with you. Under the two million dollar mark, things are moving pretty nicely. And even though there is a little more inventory these days, um, it, the, things are moving nicely. But interesting, over the five million dollar mark, that's where we are beginning to see pushback from um, not only domestic buyers, but I don't see any that many foreign buyers coming here. Um, you know, the Chinese, as we talked about for many, uh, two years on this program, 
you know, swallowing up all of the, the big um, units, all the big apartments out there, 20, 30, 40 million, 15 million dollars. That seems to definitely have slowed a bit. Um, so, I mean, do you, you know, we have a couple of minutes before we go to commercial. Um, do you, I mean, are your clients really, you know, asking serious questions? I know mine are, and I have so many people sort of on the fence with wanting to make a buy, wanting to sell something. I said this, I think, last week. I've got four potential um, sellers just waiting for things to change. And so, as Matt pointed out before, these are $2 million and under. What are we waiting for? Well, actually, backing up a little bit, I'm agreeing with Matt because I was talking with some serious buyers of mine who I put in a rental this year. And the reason I did is they are both in finance and they track the New York real estate market. That is their specialty. Mm -hmm. And I learned from one of them, this is very interesting, that you could tell the market is shifting, the residential market, if you watch the developers, the big ones like Extel related, all those big guys, and look at all the portfolios they bought in the outer boroughs during the recession. They bought them at a low then. And as soon as they start to sell them, you know you're at the peak of the market. And these guys started to sell them in February. Really? So this is according to, I tend to trust these guys. So I said to them, what does this mean for all of us? And she said, look, you know as well as I do, the market in Manhattan goes in 10-year cycles. Mm -hmm. We were a little shoved aside because of the Great Recession. But if we go all the way back to the 1920s, it really is 10-year cycles. And we're finishing up a 10-year high cycle. We're not going to have a crash but we and she actually said there are no symptoms or anything for a crash, but we are in for an adjustment. Let's hold the thought. We have to take a break. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. In my opinion, the referral business is the biggest compliment that a real estate broker can have. I had clients that I actually didn't even help them find their home, but they referred their sister to me, and they commented on my professionalism, my knowledge, and understanding of the market, and that something I did stuck with them. They've become friends over the past 15 years and have referred more than 12 deals to me with friends and family. The fact that they think of me first and trust me with their family is really, really cool. I'm Steve Snyder with CORE, and this is what I do. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. What voice guides your sexual needs and desires, yours or others? The Sexual Voice with host Jessica Ford is the show to lead you to a happier, healthier, and more fruitful sexual self. Let Jessica help you find your own unique voice to express sexual feelings, gain confidence, and to appreciate your own needs and desires. Listen live every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. There is a sexual voice inside of everyone. Come discover yours. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. We're talking today to Peru Bombat from Compass, Phil Horrigan from leasebreak.com, Deborah Hoffman from Town Residential, Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, and a special guest today, Steve Snyder, also from Core Real Estate here in New York. So, guys, there aren't many real estate markets in the U.S. where the term exclusive agreement is prevalent, but in New York City, small amounts of inventory prevail, but competition for listings is high, as we all know. So, it's here where brokers will ask for and get exclusive listings from owners or landlords. In sales, almost all listings in New York City are exclusive. The owner signs a contract with just one agent to sell the apartment, usually for a period of six months. At the very high end of the market, $10 million plus, we can uh, sometimes occasionally see a co-exclusive where two different agents from two different firms are given the listing and where both are trying independently to sell the apartment. So let's explain to the listening audience around the world what we mean by exclusive agreement because it doesn't really exist that much outside of New York City. Um, as much as it does here, I should say. But also, why would there be an opportunity for two agents and or two firms to do a co-exclusive when one agent is good enough? Would be a reason for it because I won't. Um, I, I mean, to be very honest, not so great for the sellers. But I mean, I can understand their issue is they want. And in New York, not having a multiple listing service like everywhere else, kind of in, in America. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that they think it's going to serve their purpose better when, in fact, I think it diminishes what we do as brokers and building those relationships and doing all that. Steve, right. in your opinion, though, where, where would this come into play? So, for example, I agree with you. I don't know that I would easily want to do a co-exclusive, but sometimes, you know, um, the 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 seller has a relationship with two people, meaning maybe I was a listing agent, you were the buyer's agent. Right. And I see a lot of this in new development sometimes. And so, you know, that person, that seller may be torn between Steve or Vince and says, well, you know what, maybe the two of them can, you know, represent me better right. than just one. I, I'm not saying I agree with that, but I think this is where I see more of that happening. No, I agree. I mean, there's a new development on Madison Avenue that a developer who's you know won't be mentioned, I guess, hired a big name broker to sell a penthouse, mm. and it it's an interesting idea, I guess. That can they get a splash using that person versus them doing their own marketing pieces? And in maybe that scenario, I can see it working. But you know, one of the things you mentioned is you know, do you have a, a specialist who's a buyer's agent, someone who's a great marketer? But you know, to think of relationships to take a listing with Perul where that's a compliment to each other and we're working together to accomplish the same purpose rather right. than a competition. Right. That I think is a good way to benefit our sellers and understanding going in that we are two friends and 
colleagues who right. will happily work together versus two people who want to slit each other's throat. At Funny enough, I was just going to say that. I was like, well, if I was sharing my listing with Steve Snyder, I would certainly do it. A <laughs> <laughs> little love fest uh, going on here today. But, but, um, quite, but how do firms uh, feel about that? So two agents agree to do this. That's great. But how do the companies feel about this? I mean, know, do they want to do this? Here, here's, I mean, just to explain to the listening audience, like an exclusive agreement is when you get a single broker um, not even a brokerage, but a broker from a brokerage to be the exclusive listing agent. So that person is the one who would be in charge of doing all the showings, all the marketing, et cetera. The fact of the matter is, is that in general, it's a perception by the seller that there's going to be a benefit. But the way searches are run these days, the exactly benefit right. is minimal, if if any, um, to uh, to the end to, to the seller in terms of finding the end buyer. There is one distinction, I believe, that is of note, and that is in the super luxury market, there is an international relationship possibility that two big heavy hitting brokers could have that are potentially completely different and not overlapping in terms of their network. Um, there might also be just a personal reach in a way where you have personal relationships with high net worth people who aren't necessarily looking for something right now, but that they could say, oh, you know what? I know so-and-so who's a billionaire from, you know, Vermont or whatever would probably love this apartment or townhouse or whatever as an investment, as a secondary home. And they're not actually in the market and looking and they may be, re be able to reach out. That being said, generally speaking, let's say Steve listed this, this beautiful townhouse and I had a billionaire buyer from Vermont or from France, doesn't matter. Um, I would still, as a co-broker, as the buyer's broker, would still call that person and say, hey, you should come see this apartment and Steve and I would co-broke. So really, in the long run, it's debatable if there is any benefit whatsoever. I agree with Perul 100%, and I've actually had two co listings twice in my career. Each time was once it was with someone within my company, another time it was someone out of my company, but I was very close friends with both. No matter how close you are, it's very difficult because you each have your own businesses. Mm -hmm. And it's like if you're renovating your home, it's like having two contractors. You know, one will call for the photographer and the other one will call for the photographer. And you think you're doing the other one a favor because you're such good friends, but two will show up. And sometimes, and it's not on purpose, it just, you start to step on each other's feet and it doesn't do well for I the seller. I also think sometimes from a marketing perspective, because all of our firms are very into marketing and do it differently and are very specific about certain things. And so if company A wants to you know, present something this way and company B wants to present something that way, I can see where that can get a little sticky also. Photography, floor plans, you know, mm -hmm. brochures, you name it. Question. But Vince, to, to Steve's point, I will say one thing, and that is if two brokers um, are highly creative people, whether they're at the same firm or different firms, if they are, have an intercollegiate relationship that they just know they would work really well together and bring different perspectives to the table, that would really just bring a new element to a really distinctive, unique property. There's some value potentially in it, but that's a very like small, I would say like 2% of the time ever in this market. Is that true? I mean, I, I just, I can't imagine not doing it with someone that you implicitly trust because we spend thousands Absolutely. of dollars marketing. Yeah. And, you know, someone who values my time and to be honest, my resources as much as I do and vice versa that mm -hmm. I actually see, you know, that that potential could really work. I still think at the end of the day, there's a thousand reasons why you would never do it that I think we can communicate to a seller unless it's this exact scenario, which is like, 
really, really hard to do. It's hard enough to do it with someone in your own firm where you have the same core values. No pun intended with the core values. But <laughs> did you um, want to say something? Yeah, or in your compass. Or probably be compass with, with the core values. I'm a little slow this morning. Yeah. Just got that one. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. It's um, good if you're around town. We probably beat this to death. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Oh, nice. This one. Now we're getting into it. There we go. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, we probably uh, beat this to death already, but I was going to say that I, I find it, I, I agree with everything that people have said, but I see it come a lot of times, uh, comes up where like, let's just say there's, the seller has split loyalties a mm-hmm. lot of times. So that's really where it comes up where, say there's a, a person that's known the seller forever. They're an independent broker. They don't have the reach at all, but they've known this person forever. And then, but they want to bring in a big name. Correct. So that's often where I see it, where mm-hmm. it's like some big name with someone maybe that's known the seller for 40 years, but doesn't really have a big business. That is the only time I ever <laughs> co-exclusive with anybody. And it was exactly that scenario. Yeah. He knew the seller forever and ever and ever, hmm. uh, was a local independent uh, broker all on his own, and he brought me the opportunity for you know I was working at Halstead at the time, and I you know the the big company, the website, the this, the that, whatever, and I had a co exclusive with him, and it wasn't you know, and I did everything, and I didn't really want to split my commission with him, but you know what? Then I wouldn't have had the opportunity, so I figured that okay. was my question to you guys because I don't know know how the deals are usually structured. Do you get to both brokers get paid no matter what? Because sometimes can it be structured where whoever you brings can structure the, it, it any way you want. Either yeah. way, he didn't get fifty mm-hmm. percent. I mean, I, I don't remember exactly what his percentage was. Maybe twenty five percent because it was clear up front that I was going to be doing everything, marketing, all expenses, all the showing. He didn't do any of the showings. Right. He came to the first open house, but it was um, like a referral fee. Essentially, it was like right? a referral yeah. fee, basically. But and you it know, could have still, been the other, it could have been the other way if the deal would have worked. From you know him supplying the the buyer, you, absolutely. You, know, you could have you could have also done it. And right, and he was trying to get a buyer so he'd get more of the of the split for sure. But it didn't work out that way. Anyway, moving on. Few things seem as quintessentially New York as a loft apartment. Though lofts only make up about ten percent of Manhattan's residential sale sales at any given moment, they have become highly sought after prizes. And seemingly every New York City based TV or movie character just so happens to live in a wonderful gritty loft in some old industrial building. So again, talking to our audience around amazing the amazing views of Manhattan or Brooklyn. It's incredible. And they're a barista. They're only on the third floor. It's so realistic. But it's so realistic. There you go. So what what are the characteristics of an apartment that really makes it a loft because I think people often use the word loft just because you have high ceilings in an apartment and it's not really a loft. So let's tell our audience why we just love them so much here in New York, but really what are the components or the characteristics of a real loft here in the city? Being a broker that does a lot of business in Tribeca, I can definitely firsthand say that um, lofts are not gold as always i think people are i've had people come to me and say i want a true true law first generation law yeah they, they the say like, like a classic <laughs> new york law yeah. Yeah. yeah i have like a exactly i want to put that page back and forth my favorite was when we we once went to um a loft on franklin and franklin street downtown tribeca and and it was the first place we saw and he goes oh there's only windows in the front (laughs) and I said well a true classic loft is going to be something that you know not every room is going to have windows you you kind of make it what you want it's basically just a big space that that is what with, a loft with no, is. With it's, no it's, rules, I mean, right? It's a big space where you can kind of structure it the way you want. I, I think history plays a good context <laughs> in this one, which is basically the way this whole loft living thing started. Is uh, 
anybody remembered the musical Rent, right? Yeah, so absolutely. it was basically in the, I guess, 70s, 80s, when there were these destitute buildings just sitting around Soho, which is something I cannot even imagine. Uh, but these, these, these buildings were run down and nobody was really doing anything with them. And these artists and people who were just trying to make it in New York City just started. Scary. Yeah, just, yeah, it was scary. It was unsafe. And people were just sort of squatting in these buildings. Meatpacking also. Yeah, in meatpacking. Very early days. And the government or the city said, okay, you know what? Like for like $10,000 or 5000 I mean, like m minimal amounts of money, you can own this place if it has like a bathroom and like some minimal minimal things um and this is how loft living came about so yes there were these big huge old warehouse pre-war a lot of them most of them spaces um yeah and most and uh, and then eventually it became when soho and all these areas became cleaner and places that became coveted then at that point the city decided to protect the artists by creating an artist in residence program and a lot of buildings for instance in soho are um designated as artists in, res in residence so you have to make a certain amount of money in a in other words, an income that is less than a certain amount and also have to be a bona fide artist technically to live in these buildings. So there's a whole history behind how loft living came about and what it's about. And to Matthew's point, absolutely, they weren't always a prize, but some of them really, really tremendously. Does anybody are. remember the, the movie Fatal Attraction and that um, yeah. the loft that was yeah. remembered in, in Meatpacking? Or Demi Moore and uh, Patrick Swayze's loft in Ghosts. Mm. Oh, oh, just oh my God, it was my favorite so thing. Was flash cool. were you a history major? You're always giving us a history. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I'm, just the, I'm the resident nerd. <laughs> All right, everybody, we have to take a break. We're coming right back. This is Good Morning New York, broadcasting live from New York City. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. In my opinion, the referral business is the biggest compliment that a real estate broker can have. I had clients that I actually didn't even help them find their home, but they referred their sister to me, and they commented on my professionalism, my knowledge, and understanding of the market, and that something I did stuck with them. They've become friends over the past 15 years and have referred more than 12 deals to me with friends and family. The fact that they think of me first and trust me with their family is really, really cool. I'm Steve Snyder with CORE, and this is what I do. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. We are back, and the panel is in full swing today. So here we have another Brick Underground survey. So let's listen to this one. New York City has been ramping up its digital game. A few sections of the subway are open to network reception. The Link NYC initiative is now in beta, with some already offering Wi-Fi hotspots around the city with more to come. So Brick Underground asked several New Yorkers which should be first priority, getting service into the city's parks, or getting service into the city's subways. Don't the parks have service? I don't understand. I, I get service in Some the parks. Of, it depends which park. And doesn't your phone already do that? Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's well, like well, Wi-Fi. No, I know, but I'm just thinking, or... if you're going to add Wi-Fi one place, the other city's paying for it. We've been having, a lot, of, we've been having a lot of generational conversations while the commercials have been going on, and I hate to jump back a generation, but can't people just be happy without having service all the time. I agree. Be happy without having no. network all the time. No, I no. turn my phone on airplane mode when I get in the subway because it's like a nice break. You know, a 10-minute break. It's like a nap. You know, Matt, I go back and forth on that. I, I, I agree with you, and then I disagree with you, and I heard one that's <laughs> coming from Steve's corner here because it, when I do say I'm going to put this aside and not touch it for, you know, whatever, I find myself kind of creeping Rich. back to it. Right. Because if it's not in my hand or on my lap, I feel like I'm, there's something wrong. But but we're talking about Wi-Fi, so the the verdict actually is they would prefer to, as a priority, put the service in the subways versus in the park. Because in the park, you can use your GPS; it doesn't matter. But but underground, you can't use GPS or your, your four. What do we call it? Four G- GPS or LTG, LTE. You mean, you mean the actual <laughs> phone service? The phone service. <laughs> we're, we're, um, we're using a telegram. Jumping back a decade, so they're not even a decade. I also think I'm sure a lot of people who commented or voted on that have also gotten stuck in the subway before and they probably have felt like I have where you're stuck in the subway for 30 minutes and you're going crazy. I, you can't let and, I would, and I would say too that one of, one of the challenges, by the way, someone in my building works for the, the company who's been contracted and I probably feel like over the next 10 years the Wi-Fi and the subway system is going to be much like a third world country development opportunity. There's going to be millions and millions and millions of dollars <laughs> lost before it actually works and and her reasoning basically was, we'd have to replace all the subway cars, you know, to get it in the subways. And he's like, okay, so basically you're already saying that it can't work. It's happening our, yeah, right. It's, it's happening, happening ever, you know, everywhere. But um, one of the things that I think it makes sense for is, you know, it's nice that we're so nice as New Yorkers to help everyone. But when you have tourists and, and foreigners who are here relying on that and they're lost on the subways yeah, and they're yeah, all over the place yeah. and they're using on the platform, they get on the train and it's completely done. And they have no idea where they're going. Like I think that would be well. It's you know, the same when we travel to Europe. Because I, mean, I don't want to talk to anybody. To be very honest, <laughs> I, I don't want to talk to anybody. Right. Wait, 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 wait. As a friendly New Yorker, yeah, right. I, I, <laughs> when I don't have my headphones on, yeah. I kind of love when that tourist I says do to too. you, "How do you get?" 
just South Ferry. Like, do you what stop? I love it, and I love telling them stuff. Yeah, I have like a New York train. I have to go north. I New York moment. You know, well, you're very sweet because sometimes I have my moments where just you know, no, I'm I'm doing something, I'm thinking about something, and then there I have my moments where you know, when the musicians come down the train. Yeah, well, there you go. And the dollar bills, whatever. All right, moving on. A married couple is on the hunt for the perfect New York City home. Now, we talked briefly about this a couple months ago, um, or 12 of them, so to be exact. The couple is embarking on a journey through the city in which they plan to live in a different neighborhood every month for a year. This is is true. Spending time in each of the five um, boroughs. With their 20-month-old daughter in tow, that's a little crazy. The pair, both journalists, say they plan to immerse themselves in the 12 different parts of the city, chronicling their travels through a blog, podcast, and social media uh, posts for uh, the project they're calling New York City 12 by 12. After three years on the Upper East Side, they spent a year living in Park Slope, where they soon they were soon priced out and found themselves on the hunt for a new apartment, which is when they got the idea for the 12 by 12. Basically, what they're trying to do is live in 12 different neighborhoods, one a month. I don't know how you can do this, uh, Airbnb. Um, and as long trying as they're 30-day leases, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, whatever. So I mentioned this a couple of months ago, as we said, and I wanted your thoughts on this hunt. And is it something that most of our buyers or renters should consider? Or if they do tell you about something like this, what is our response as real estate agents? Because I have personally heard this before. Not one place a month, but you know, maybe a couple of places in a year, three places in a year to test out neighborhoods. We all know what choosing a neighborhood is about in this town. Say have a good time. No, I, I would say, like, <laughs> first of all, I usually tell people that one of the most stressful parts of life is moving. The last thing I want to do is Awful. move. And expensive. Awful. To move every month with a 20-month Child, twenty-month-old baby. I mean, and also so that's one thing. Um, but it does sound glamorous, by the way, in terms of like reading about it and getting a it lot sounds of sounds inconvenient. But the, right, I'll say, but the but the actual practice of it yeah. is like a disaster. I think the other thing is, I really think it takes longer to understand a neighborhood. You can't really get a neighborhood and understand a neighborhood in just a month. I don't think because you then cannot. you're really you're really just a tourist to me. Yeah. I mean, it's taken me months, years to really get to know a neighborhood. And usually for me, it's not after years that I'm like, okay, I think I, I think I kind of got this neighborhood. I think I'll try a new neighborhood now. But just a month, you're going to miss out on so much. My, my question is, are they going to pay commissions on each month? Of <laughs> <laughs> well, then we'll move them on. They're going to be using so right. Phil's going to oh, yeah. so right. so, Actually, leasebreak.com would be perfect for this See? because we only yes. allow rentals of 30 days and over. So it sounds like they're actually exactly. going to be doing things probably legally and not doing some of the illegal stuff that you can do on some of these other websites. So leasebreak would be great for them. Right. Uh, we have a lot of one-month rentals. So. Right. I actually Absolutely. also, just to chime in on this, I'm optimistic side. Yeah, um, I love, I, it's one of the parts of our business that I absolutely love doing with clients. I love when someone will say to me, I've lived on the Upper West Side forever. I want to try something new. I want to go downtown. What do you suggest? And, you know, we'll, we'll have dinners or we'll have lunches and we'll try different places and we'll walk around different blocks and I'm not talking about walking up and down the high line. Like we're walking, you know, from block to block and really getting a feel for the neighborhood. I think, I think neighborhoods are the best part of New York Mm -hmm. and experiencing them with someone who really wants to be engulfed in one is a truly amazing experience. But let me ask you something now that we're on this topic, because I agree with you a hundred percent on that. And all of the neighborhoods in this town in all of the boroughs are very different. So mm-hmm. how does one decide on a particular neighborhood when they're really on the fence? I mean, they really, you know, they want to explore a couple, as you said, maybe over lunches and dinners or drinks. 
But how does one really, really pick a neighborhood? In all honesty, I think it's a heart versus a mind question. Agreed. Um, I think that if you get in your head, you're never going to be able to make a decision because there's so many pros and cons every single neighborhood. But if money's not like the huge object, right? Like, isn't like you have the affordability to sort of be able to be in West Village or Lower East Side or whatever. It's really going to be following your heart, you know, and you will, you'll love so many different aspects of different neighborhoods, but your heart will tell you like what feels like home to you. This is where I spiritually connect with Pearl because I I could not agree more. I think it's, it's a gut feeling. It's an energy that you feel. Um, I also think this is a gray area because of what Deborah and I were talking about before for the show that there are certain Rebney rules that we can't touch when it comes to this because Mm -hmm. you can't steer your clients to a neighborhood. It really has to come from them. Like they really have to say to you, I was thinking of these three neighborhoods of about exploring, like Mm -hmm. what, you know, Mm -hmm. what should we do first? Where should we go? Things like that. You you can't tell them. I think you should do West Village no, because you, 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 you know we this have, is the kind of people there, and this is the school there. You can't do it. That but that being yeah. said, what you said, Matthew, before you know that's one thing I do too. I call it an app hop. So I literally take you know my clients, my sisters, anybody who's visiting, you know that tourist I meet on a train. Like I will literally say, hey, you know what? The funnest thing to do is go into any neighborhood, like just walk down the street, explore a little, don't eat too much at one place, grab one drink and one appetizer, share it, enjoy it, go to the next place. So you can check out three, four places over the course of a couple of hours and get a little bit of a feel of the neighborhood. And like go to a mom and pop yeah. cafe instead of a Starbucks, yeah. like right. sit down, yeah. see and the kind of I'm people. Also, yeah. And, I'm, and yeah. I'm also coming off of like a 10 day silent retreat. So mm. maybe I'm in my most boho phase in life right now. <laughs> I'm literally dating. <laughs> Day two out of of, of not- which you look amazing. Thank so you. Maybe I, should, I think we should all go. Yeah. We should all go. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that you know, same idea, but you know, you have someone who has lived in the Upper East Side for years, and they're like, I'm thinking about moving to Williamsburg. Right. And that sounds so amazing to them, you know, probably because they watch girls and you know all, all the shows. It's whatever. <laughs> and, and so all I say to them, look, if that's what you want to do, I'm just going to encourage you to go over really early in the morning mm-hmm. and catch the train as if you're going to go to work. Mm-hmm. And do that from a few different of those stops, depending on what it's going to be. And then the same thing going home, right? If you're going to leave at five, if you're going to leave at six, you're going to leave at seven, figure out what that's going to look like because it sounds very glamorous. And, you know, I love Brooklyn on Saturdays and Sundays. Right. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Right. I agree. But, you know, getting there early to, to do a showing or something is not the most fun thing yeah. in, for me, right? right? Yeah. It's yeah. not as easy. I think Deborah, you know, and I being the senior members of this panel here could probably agree oh, that uh, years ago when I first came into the city, you picked a neighborhood to live in because it was cool to live in that neighborhood and you wanted to be in that neighborhood because everybody you knew is in that neighborhood. And whether it was the Upper East Side where I ended up first or downtown, whatever, you picked that neighborhood not necessarily feeling a connection. And going back to what Matt was saying before, it, it I think it really does come back, to, it come down to a connection because after living in your first neighborhood of choice, um, you realize, okay, so maybe I don't connect with this neighborhood and maybe I need to move on and maybe I need to find something else that makes me happy. And then I think the the people that we deal with today are already there, I think. They and it's also, also think about that before sorry. they even start. Sorry, you want to go first? Should Very go quickly. First? Go, go, that go. also piggybacks <laughs> on what everybody was saying, but what Perul was saying about it's hard over mind because a number of years yes. ago, 
um, I was moving and friends had convinced me to move to a small enclave in one of the outer boroughs. They said, <laughs> it's warm. Everyone takes care of you. It's really a, a, a community. It's No, I was coming from the Burbs, so it made sense. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was no, directed at Maggie for everybody you cannot see. <laughs> wherever you are, it takes at least a year to get to know it because I was excited. Absolutely. Learning a new neighborhood as everyone is when you first move in. But after a year, I realized oh my God, every Archie Bunker in the world lives here. I've got to get out of here. But it took a year to figure that out. So we all, as, as Vince, you were just saying, Absolutely. you know, you could also see other neighborhoods from where you live because you're close enough to walk to them, to visit in them. Or um, what Steve just said about check out the commute, check out what it's like on a weekday in the morning, early, well, That's early brilliant night. advice yeah, because brilliant, that, that makes sense. All right, we have to go to break. We're coming back on the other side, our last segment. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. In my opinion, the referral business is the biggest compliment that a real estate broker can have. I had clients that I actually didn't even help them find their home, but they referred their sister to me, and they commented on my professionalism, my knowledge, and understanding of the market, and that something I did stuck with them. They've become friends over the past 15 years and have referred more than 12 deals to me with friends and family. The fact that they think of me first and trust me with their family is really, really cool. I'm Steve Snyder with CORE, and this is what I do. You've heard of good things coming in packages. Well, maybe there's a little more to that saying. But when you think about it, packaging is one of the most important things that can represent your business. Tune into Ditch the Box with host David Marinak. Each week, we'll discuss flexible packaging, marketing, sales, and how it all comes together in one container. Lower costs, increased margins. Listen to the show. It might just save you a ton. Ditch the Box is heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. 
That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. The panel, we are core heavy today. Steve Snyder, special guesting from Core Real Estate. Matthew Cohn, of course, from Core. I'm from Core. Deborah Hoffman, Town Residential. And Parul Brambat from Compass. Okay, so in any competitive market, all cash offers typically win out. In neighborhoods and at price points where inventory is tight and bidding wars almost a certainty, the financing-free strategy at the bargain table has become more commonplace and more or less imperative. Some real brokers say a key advantage is that these deals are done more quickly than finance transactions, which appeals to the seller. There is no lender red tape to slow down the process like the appraisal requirements and concerns about whether those appraisals will come in high enough or whether buyers can borrow as much as they need. What is the cash? What is the latest on the cash um, situation today? Is cash still king in this town as our market has changed a little bit? Can I jump back? <laughs> and, and, I'm sorry. And, and, you, you wanted to jump back. Yeah, go yeah, right ahead. Just it, one more it, thing, because I think it's it. incredibly important when talking about neighborhoods. Um, I think it also, for a person who has lived in New York for a while, um, or even someone who's just coming, I think it also depends on the stage of life that you're in. Because I had a pitch yesterday, and the seller said to me, you know, at the time, 10 years ago, I really wanted to live in the thick of things. I really wanted mm-hmm. to live right Your in the center, right. Right, right in the center where I could yep. easily get into the office. There are subways all around me. Now I work for myself. Now I work from home. I have a dog who doesn't like being in the middle of things. And now I want to move to somewhere like Battery Park where it's quieter and there's more park, things like that. So I just, it was one more thing. I just think it's a big stage of life thing. Well, well. you're underscoring absolutely. what we said because that's absolutely true. Okay, Kat. Cash. Is cash still king in this ever-changing marketplace of ours today? You know, I want to talk about a segment we rarely talk about, but the $400,000 range. Mm-hmm. I had buyers, they're now in contract for something. In the $400,000 range, they got outbid eight, count them, eight times mm-hmm. yeah. with all cash buyers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And things were really zooming in that range, which really surprised me because I haven't worked a lot in that range in a long time. So, I could even say the same. I could say the same in like the nine hundred to one point three million range as mm-hmm. well. It was brutal because I had these buyers who, you know, didn't have the strongest qualifications, could only afford that price range. Definitely needed a second bedroom, so really they could only apply for co-ops, and they got beat out like ten times and counting. So yeah. I also love um, on the development side of things how cash is. Definitely king with a developer. Oh, developers. I, I've had, developers love it. I'm in such an interesting situation right now with one of my buyers who, um, not lowballed, but he's negotiating on a new development because mm-hmm. it's been sitting there for a little bit. Um, and his first offer was non-contingent, even though he can do all cash. And the developer came back to us and said, I'll give you $100,000 off the sale price if you do an all cash wow. contract instead of a non-contingent. That also and, and speaks I, to the market. It's very interesting. If a developer is saying mm-hmm. that now and they're willing to give you something off, I think that's saying something to where we're going in the market. To we because they, they, want, they want to close instead of the potential of just keeping the deposit. But they're, but they they're don't, still, they don't I mean, they're still close and it's not contingent. I, I mean, I think well, one, of the, one of the challenges that we run into, you know, if you're four or 500,000, as, as you said, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, how many, 
you know, first time home buyers have $500,000 that they've saved from renting over the last five years, Not which is interesting. Any. But, but there's enough that yeah. right now this, that market's really hard under 600,000 is multiple Agreed. offers. But one of the things I think for the high end buyers is that they have so much cash in IRAs or investments or in HBSC bank accounts, whatever that they're cash in air quotes, if we were going to do it, but they're borrowing against their assets mm -hmm. at a 50% value. So it's an interesting thing to say, mm -hmm. is that a cash buyer? Is that not a cash buyer? Right. I think that it probably mm -hmm. is, although they're getting a loan from, from their bank, mm -hmm. but everything is non-contingent. And for me, I think it's easy to say to a sophisticated seller, especially to a sophisticated broker to say, look, this is a $6 million apartment. My buyers have a lot of money. Why are they taking $6 million out of cash when they can earn three or four or five percent on that money and they're just going to borrow against assets. So in theory, it's a cash transaction, but but at the same time, you know, it's not. So, I mean, that's a, been an experience for me where... But, you know, to that point, have you seen, have you lost deals because of that? Because I will say that, generally speaking, if that's the storyline and scenario and they can show the financials, it's not, it hasn't been, in my experience, the trouble. The trouble is really when you have a genuinely person who just cannot, does not have the cash. Right. Opposed to somebody who does. Yeah, no, I think I think yeah. that's yeah, I think that's different. I mean, mm -hmm. like like you said, I mean, you've got someone who can write the check, but financing sounds pretty appealing too if you mm -hmm. can get it really cheap. Well, and also, in today's marketplace, and uh, you know, money is so free. cheap, mm -hmm. it's free, right. basically. Exactly. So why why use your your capital if you don't need to? But also to what Steve said, if you look at it from an intellectual standpoint, if you have a very smart, knowledgeable seller. It, it you all or sorry a very smart knowledgeable buyer who has a very good broker you also need a smart knowledgeable seller right. because right. if you can make the equation equal then i think everyone can be on the same page but if the seller comes back to you also in a, in a smart way and says hey i know that my building has trouble with banks like, I don't care how free the money is. I know exactly what's going to happen. And he is going to run into, you know, red flags and or some new developments also have issues with lending. And I, I heard a situation a week ago, a really good broker friend of mine who's on an awesome building downtown texted me, didn't email me, but he texted me and he said, this buyer obviously was doing a non-contingent deal and couldn't close. And we have to put the apartment back on the market. And, um, you know, I want to give you first first dibs because I know that you might have someone interested. But it kind of just goes to tell you that um, as much as money is free these days, you have to be careful on the sales side of what the intricate details are. Cash sometimes used to also, you know, be like a cover. You have the cash to buy an apartment, but you may not be so qualified to be right, in that right, building. And so a lot of people used to pay cash thinking that they're going to get past a co-op board or, or whatever. And in fact, not. I had one situation where it was all cash and they didn't get past the co-op board because there were other, thing, other things in the way of their, their you know, qualifications or candidacy, and it just didn't work. But last part of that for me is that I actually just had a deal with someone who beat out a cash buyer. They removed their contingency, which scared them to death. Correct. Mm -hmm. And they paid above the list price. And so I just kept saying, price or terms are going to get this deal done. You, you have to finance. There's no option. Yeah. And how bad do you want the apartment? And so they made higher than, than they wanted to, mm -hmm. and the seller said, okay. You're giving me more money. It makes sense. And I'm, I'm willing to risk a 30-day financing contingency to make X amount of dollars ahead of that. I just did a two-week contingency financing contingency. Oh, wow. That's, that's fast. Actually, we, we did it twice. Huh. Um, and it worked both times. Yeah. So, so cash, I think, is king. But look, 
Yeah. If they want it and they have to finance, yeah. you know. I also think that's more. where the emotional side comes into play because mm-hmm. yes. in the especially in the price range that Deborah is talking about in terms of like five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand, it becomes more of an emotional game on both sides. And I, I just went into contract on like a six hundred fifty thousand dollar deal in Chelsea and right from the start, you know, my buyer just can't give up her contingency. She's just not willing. And I said, Well, if that's the case, you need to get on the seller's emotional good side from the start you need to from the start make that offer extremely powerful and mm-hmm. capture them because right. if you drag your feet you're gonna with the money alright listen we have one minute left and I just wanted to talk about city bikes for a minute if you're a city bike devotee who's uh, who's been anxious for a station to finally open in your neighborhood you may be in luck earlier this week Streets blog reported that City Bike has begun rolling out its next phase of planned expansion, which will add 139 new stations on the Upper West, Upper East Side, Harlem, and parts of Brooklyn. Comments on City Bikes. I'm ready to kill them. I think it's... Um, Steve will appreciate this because I'm, I'm a huge golfer, so I'm going to make a golf reference. Um, I think it's one of those situations where you say it's a great idea in theory and i think sometimes when it's executed it's not executed well there are just too many of them <laughs> i love the yeah. idea of city bikes yeah. and i think they're great sometimes but half the people don't wear helmets which freak me out None of them and, and i hate the the stands they're everywhere <laughs> and everywhere. park anymore on weekends even when people come in on weekends and a lot of our trade in Manhattan is tourist trade. And the bridge and tunnel people, as we say, who are people who are not in Manhattan, but they do come in for the shows. And not everyone wants to pay $30 for a garage. You have no more street parking. I agree. We're going to we're gonna have to pick up next time on that. We are completely out of time. That is Good Morning New York for this week. Thank you for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com or vincerocco.com. Thanks to Steve Snyder for joining us today. Please come back for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.